Um, thank you for joining us for this episode of Bookable Space. Today, we're joined by Carolyn Korsmeyer, who will be reading to us from and talking about her book, Charlotte's Story. Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm pleased to be here. Anytime. Everyone, I think by now knows I love being read to. So this show brings me so much joy. And every time I meet a writer, I'm just so excited because I just can't wait to hear the book and to be able to ask you questions. So I'm just thrilled to have you. Thank you. Can we just dive? We'll dive right in. So can you please tell us a little bit about Charlotte's story? Well, this is a story that I hope many of your listeners will recognize because Charlotte, her name is Charlotte Lucas, then Charlotte Lucas Collins. She's a character well known from Jane Austen's novel Pride and Prejudice. She's a character who has interested me for quite a while, ever since I first read Jane Austen's novel. And um, finally, it occurred to me that she might have more to say if if I took over her persona in some bold way. And um, that's what Charlotte's story is about. It takes off from events in Pride and Prejudice, periodically dips back into Pride and Prejudice and connects with an event from that plot, but mostly carries on about Charlotte herself and the kind of life that I think she might have led. Oh, that's wonderful. It's kind of was a real person here, which is a little bit crazy, but it's it's an imaginative exercise and a very vivid fictional character. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. Could we have our first reading, please? Sure. Again, I'm going to be referring to the the uh, ways that this reading connects to Pride and Prejudice. Many people will remember that Charlotte occurs early in the book because the man whom she's going to marry actually is does not have her as his first choice. This is William Collins. He has visited the Bennett household to ask Elizabeth Bennett to marry him. And Elizabeth Bennett has refused him in no uncertain terms. And William Collins is, is feeling a little taken aback and wondering why. And Charlotte had met him shortly after this painful scene when Collins is rejected. And she realizes, Charlotte realizes, that Mr. Collins is urgently in need of a wife, and she he might offer her a kind of opportunity. So this is from an early chapter of Charlotte's story. Oh, and I should also say that I've written this story in the first person, so the I is Charlotte herself. From my upstairs window early the next morning, I could see a figure making its way towards Lucas Lodge. It took no little time for me to discern that it was Mr. Collins himself. And suddenly I was almost certain that I divined his intentions. My heart quickened with the prospect of what I was about to do. Hastily, I turned to the mirror that hangs in the corner of the bedroom to smooth my hair and pinch color into my cheeks. Even before he entered the house, he was talking, even more or less erupting with encomia to my virtue and spinning blissful visions of a life to come. If only I would honor him be so gracious as to accept him, and so forth. Little had I dared hope that so much eloquence awaited me. It all poured out in a flood, and I suspected that this was more than his habitual chatter, but also a signal of the fact that the man might have a bit of sense about him after all, for he was in a state of high anxiety and clearly worried that he might receive another rebuff. I had no delusion that his sudden ardor was rooted in love. It had been all too obvious 
from our previous conversation that he was in the throes of a conviction that he needed a wife to com- complete his position in the parish where Lady Catherine de Bourgh had granted him the living. But I did not take this fact amiss, for his need matched mine. It is perhaps to be wondered that I would look forward to greeting this clumsy man so readily, would have sought to intercept him outside even before he reached the door, let alone that I would take him as a prospective husband. What young woman would regard favorably the advances of a suitor so unappealing? What female with any pride of self would have welcomed his approach and all that it implied? Well, I can tell you what kind, for I am one, realistic, tolerant, and ever so slightly conniving. Yes, I connived, I contrived, I calculated. Gentle reader, do not judge me harshly. I gave up romantic illusions at an early age. It was a brief but painful moment when I realized that romance was a fantasy that did not suit a woman like me. Romance combined with plainness is doomed to disappointment. Realism combined with compromise holds promise, and I am nothing if not realistic. The little mirror in my bedroom is in the corner for a reason. I do not care to pass it frequently, as do many other girls who flick their eyes glassward repeatedly to check on their appearance. To call a meal good, plain, fair is to praise its ungarnished nutrition. To call a home plain suggests tidy simplicity. To call speech plain connotes its honesty. But to call a girl plain is but another way to say she is unattractive. Not quite ugly. I don't wish to exaggerate. My appearance does not offend, but neither does it appeal. My mirror shows a sallow, slightly flat face, a small nose that extends just a bit too near my lips, eyes of medium brown beneath level brows ever so slightly too low, light brown hair of a quantity adequate to cover the scalp, but not sufficiently abundant to count as flowing locks. Not entirely unpleasant, but plain. I wasted only a few tears on that realization, for what cannot be cured must be endured. Is it to be wondered that I appreciated Mr. Collins' attention and grabbed him before he came across another woman with a similarly realistic cast of mind? Some might call me cynical, but it is not cynical to look at the world with clarity of mind and see exactly what it promises. That is realism. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single woman possessed of neither beauty nor fortune must welcome the proposal of just about any man of property. So what a wonderful introduction to Charlotte. So I have to ask, what was it like to to write her, to breathe life into her? And then kind of what was possible for her as a character in terms of your own writing and imagination outside of how she existed in Pride and Prejudice? Well, one of the things that's always interested me about Charlotte Lucas both when reading Pride and Prejudice and when viewing the many films that have been made of the of the novel, is that it seemed to me that maybe Jane Austen treated her with sort of short shrift. Mm-hmm. Uh, her reasons for marrying are quite clear in the novel, and they are realistic because she is a woman of no great fortune, and she really would like a family. And I decided that I would try and pursue an imagination, her desire and her action in pursuing a family, even though the husband is not one whom she adores. She doesn't hate him. This isn't a a forced marriage to someone whom she really dislikes, at least not yet. 
the plot gets a little thick that way. But what would it be like? And Charlotte, of course, is living in a time when the opportunities for women of her class are limited. Marriage is indeed a very realistic goal for happiness, or she would be left as the spinster aunt or the person taking care of the family, or perhaps even impoverished. We all live with limitations. The hers are different from ours, but I think they're still kind of familiar. And so that was something that I wanted to pursue. And one of the things that I tried to do, I hope successfully, was strike a balance between a very contemporary look back at the early 19th century and getting too stuck on the idea that women in, say, eighteen early 1800s had almost no path to their own action, because Charlotte is a very active character, full of will and resentment and resistance, and also creativity, or at least I hope so. I love that you were able to imagine a full life for her and to, you know, give her that life on the page where she was fleshed out and had wants and needs and opportunities and personality. So I think that's, you know, a really wonderful treat. Um, Could we have another reading, please? Sure. This next reading that I've chosen also connects to a section of Pride and Prejudice. It's actually, I put in the earlier part of the text, a letter that Mr. Collins writes to the Bennets. Uh, Charlotte is trying to make the best of her marriage, although it's kind of hard going. But news arrives of the scandalous elopement of the youngest Bennet daughter, Lydia, with Mr. Wickham. And again, fans of Austin will recognize this, this event because Lydia has run off with Mr. Wickham. She hasn't, in fact, eloped. She isn't yet married. It's really a tremendous scandal. And Charlotte comes upon a letter that her husband has written to Mr. Bennett, offering his condolences, but his condolences are placed in very harsh terms and suggests that it would have been preferable had Lydia simply died as opposed to, you know, run away. And as I say, the letter is in Pride and Prejudice. Charlotte is just furious that he has done this, and he's done it in her name as well as in his. And when she finds the letter, which of course she wasn't supposed to see, she happens upon it by accident, she tears it in half. And this section I'm going to read now follows up on that. Oh, Charlotte has started to write her own letter to her friend Elizabeth. Sorry, I should have added that. The explosion was inevitable. I finished my letter, so full of blots and scratches and incomplete sentences that it would surely be hard to read. I folded it and wrote an address, forcing my hand to stop shaking so that the postman could decode the writing. I had only a little wax at hand, but I dropped enough on the paper to secure it properly, burning my thumb in lieu of a seal. And then just as I was rising, determined to go to Hunsford before the post office closed for the day, my door burst open. There stood my husband with the torn pieces of his own letter clutched in his two hands. His face was crimson, his jowls trembled, and his usually overflowing speech was reduced to a strangled squawk. Mrs. Collins! Yes, William, I said, striding forward. Yes, I tore your despicable letter in half. I own that I did it, and I would do it again without remorse. I have shredded it to fragments. Surely you cannot think that its contents do not concern me when the subject you dare to address is the sister of my dearest friend, your own guest in this very house not so long ago. You have revealed yourself to be a judgmental and unfeeling man. 
I continued for as long as I could sustain speech with this outpouring of grievance, that he should have taken it upon himself to convey wholesale censure on a situation that he poorly understood, and that it was in any event none of his concern, that he could be so cruel as to assert that the death of a young girl was preferable to the shame of her errors, and most of all, that without consulting me, he would presume to invoke my name, as though I agreed with his own opinions, simply assuming that we would automatically share the same views. And at that point, the memory arose of his declaration to Lizzie that I had overheard on the morning that she and Maria had departed to our home. My dear Charlotte and I have but one mind and one way of thinking. The bitterness of that recollection and its consequences now struck me to the full, choking me with angry tears, and I could not go on. But William had regained his power of speech. He unleashed an invective that was free from his usual flowery phrases, but full of bile and righteous anger. How improper it was that I should read his private letters, he thundered, let alone destroy his correspondence. How unseemly the behavior that I displayed, entirely unworthy of a lady who ought to bow to her her husband's opinions, had I in my marriage lines not included the promise to obey, and was I not in violation of that sacred vow, and on and on. When he stopped for breath, I dove in again with renewed fervor until our conflicting shouts made it impossible to hear what each other was saying. How long we carried on with charges and countercharges, I could not say. Our mutual wrath propelled us forward in ever-intensifying accusations. It seemed we could not cease, and I believe we were both also frightened by the intensity of our anger. But neither of us was able to contain our fury with the other, which had built to an intolerable pitch. Finally, I stormed from the room with my letter in my hand and ran to the stables, mounted Francis, that's her horse, and set off for Hunsford. I had little fear that I would be pursued, for I knew that William would be dislayed by the necessity of returning to his desk to rewrite his letter, since he would not want to invite inquiry about why he was mailing torn sheets. There was no hiding the nature of my own unhappy relationship any longer, but no matter. I was done pretending that my decision had been a good one, framed in the calm light of rational calculation, done fending off the sympathetic judgments of my friends and insisting against all evidence that I was content, done to refuse to acknowledge that I had made a grievous error. Oh, poor Charlotte. It's a bad moment. Yeah, it sounds like it. So your book seems it's very aligned with events of Pride and Prejudice. So I'm curious about the sort of research that you might have done to get your setting right. And and I used right, like, um, well, no, you know, people can't see my <laughs> my air quotes, but um, in that way. And because um, I'm really curious if there's something you might have found out through your research that maybe it didn't fit your novel, so you changed it. Yeah, I, I'm really curious what you were able to change and what you decided, no, this has to stay. Right. Yes. Well. In terms of research, what I really did was reread everything of Jane Austen that I had in the house, which was most of her novels. I attended, some of this research occurred after the lockdown for COVID. So fortunately, there were a lot of online resources I could go to. And I went to some virtual conferences from the Jane Austen Society. I tried to change rather little with regard to the facts of the novel, but I did alter 
the personalities of some of the characters. I elaborated Charlotte, obviously, and I, I also elaborated William, who does undergo some changes in the novel. But I also gave voice to a character who's virtually silent in Pride and Prejudice, and that's Anne de Berg, Lady Catherine de Berg's daughter, who turns out in my story to be a friend of Charlotte's, a good friend, although it takes a while for her to develop. And the other person who I give a new personality to is Mary Bennett. I can't tell you too much about what I do with her because it it would give away the end of the story too much. But I, I found her a character who had some scope for both humor and adventuresomeness that might have been a little surprising. So I had a good deal of fun. I'm not sure all of my readers appreciate what I've done with those other characters, especially Mary, but I changed those characters the most. And other characters, such as Mrs. Bennett, Mr. Bennett, and so forth, I kept pretty much as they had been. Eliza, you had how much you could stretch a well-known story like Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I love that you had fun, though, with it. Yes, it was it was a great deal of fun. Yeah. Oh, good. And can we have our final reading, please? Sure. The final reading takes place in Bath because, as you could have told from the previous reading, Charlotte and William uh, reach a pretty low point in their relationship, and they both recognize that, and they both recognize that they're not happy. And after some weeks progress, at her husband's suggestion. Charlotte goes to Bath with several women friends. She and William hope that the trip will ease the strain of their relationship if they're apart for a little while, but also that maybe the healthful waters of Bath will help them conceive because both of them would like a child. And so far that has not occurred. And so Charlotte thinks this is a good idea. And her the, the people she goes with to Bath are Anderberg, the younger Bennett daughter, Kitty, Charlotte's sister, Maria, and Mrs. Bennett, Mrs. Bennett's sister, Mrs. Phillips. But while they're in Bath, Charlotte discovers that unlike her companions, rather than drinking the waters of Bath, she really likes the baths themselves. So this is her first excursion into the thermal baths. Under the clearing skies, sunbeams lit the mellow stone fronts of the buildings, and I admired the loveliness of the city so old at its foundations, and yet so refreshed in its structures. As I neared the famous thermal bath, I hesitated to enter, to enter, not being sure of the protocol of its use. Fortunately, three women were purposefully striding in the same direction, and I followed in their wake. An attendant swept me up and bundled me into a small curtained booth. Mrs. Rourke, as she introduced herself briskly, and within minutes, my gown was exchanged for a stiff, loose garment of a peculiar olive hue and an even stranger smell, and I was led by the hand to the edge of an opaque, greenish pool. Tendrils of steam rose from the surface and dispersed towards a ceiling that seemed miles overhead. The air was hot and thick and left a faintly mineral taste in the throat. It's a good idea to bathe only a short while the first time, said Mrs. Rourke. Some ladies find that the warmth makes them dizzy before they are used to it. But the waters are very relaxing and wholesome, and I'm sure you will find your way to health and comfort soon. She gave me a small prod, and I stepped down the shallow flight of stairs into the water, gasping at the heat that greeted my chilled feet. My costume billowed around me as I waded deeper, 
trapping air like a balloon and launching me like a frog atop a lily pad. As the material absorbed water, it gently subsided to float like a cloak of green around me. I drifted away and was all at once awash in a sea of bliss. It is hard to describe sheer physical pleasure. The sensation of bathing was to me so sudden and deeply primeval that my mind dove below language and I could only gasp. Mrs. Rourke said something and laughed, but her meaning escaped me. There were others in the pool around me, and they were speaking with one another, but their words were lost to me and only swirled in diffuse echoes off the vaulted room. I was aware of the sound of lapping waves, which matched the lift of the thick water cradling my body. I moved my limbs slowly, feeling the muscles relax after a morning of walking, my skin opening to the heat, my body so buoyant that I hardly needed my toes to touch the stone floor of the bath. Heat crept up my neck as my hair loosened from its pins and drifted into the pool. It crossed my mind that I ought to pin it back up, but I didn't want to interrupt the sensations overtaking me. Although I was fully modest in my olive gown, beneath the surface that peculiar garment extended out from my body like a bell, and hot water flowed under it and around my naked skin with exquisite smoothness. I don't know how long I basked in this heaven, but eventually I became aware of a gentle tap against my shoulder and a distant voice declaring that I was adequately cooked for the time being and it was time for me to leave. Mrs. Dwork fished me out of the bath and wrapped me in a, a rough towel. Alas, I was to be the only one of our set who enjoyed the bath. They preferred instead to drink the waters and socialize in the pump room. On my return that first day, my own sister wrinkled her nose and pronounced that I smelled a bit like a hard-boiled egg. (laughs) Oh, where can we buy Charlotte's story? It's been such a delight hearing you read that I know we want to read more. Oh, thank you. I I hope so. Uh, The book was published by Touchpoint Press. That's capital T-O-U-C-H, capital P-O-I-N-T Press. One word, but with a capital letter in the middle of the word. And it can be bought directly from that press through their bookstore. And it, not so surprisingly, it's touchpointpress.com. It can also be bought perhaps more easily for people ordering from overseas. It can be bought through Amazon. And if anybody is interested in those particulars or in finding links, there's more information about this on my personal website, which is www.carolyncorsmeyer.com. Wonderful. Carolyn, thank you so much for being such a generous guest, for your readings thoroughly enjoyed them for talking to us about the book and spending time with us. I really appreciate it. I certainly appreciate your invitation and I'm delighted to have been here. Oh, wonderful. Thank you.